Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Walk the dogs, school drop-off, meetings from 10 to 3, take kids to soccer, then no time left for a jog. When everyone else is relying on you, it's easy to put your needs last. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist online, so you can show up for yourself the way you do for others. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com. Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC Podcast. Hello, Rank Squad, and welcome to Champions League Takeaway, your show. Looking back at all the week's action in the Champions League as we concluded the round of 16. My name is Jack Collins, and I'm delighted to say I'm joined by the full compliment by Mr. Sam Sider, Rank God. How are you doing, mate? Hello, mate. Very well, thank you. How are you? Have you enjoyed your evening? A lovely, lovely time, and I'm enjoying it even more now that we have a returning transfer guru to the show. Mr. Dean Jones, how you doing, mate? Hello, mate. Yeah, I've uh, been better, but I'm okay. I'm alive. Uh, you can probably hear my th- my voice that I'm not 100, but yeah, I'm good. I'm better than Liverpool. Yeah, you are better than Liverpool. It's been a week of mad Champions League games. Yesterday, we saw Manchester City win 7-0 home to RB Leipzig, 8-1 on aggregate. Porto drew 0-0 with Inter at the Dragao in a crazy, chaotic encounter, which meant that Inter went through 1-0 on aggregate. Then tonight, Real Madrid won 1-0 against Liverpool to make that 6-2 on aggregate. And Napoli beat Frankfurt 3-0 to make that one 5-0 on aggregate. Now, three of these games, plus one from last week, have massive scorelines. So you take that, Napoli winning by five goals to nil. Real Madrid won by six goals to two. 
Benfica won by seven goals to one. And Manchester City won by eight goals to one. My opening gambit here is, is this the weakest Champions League round of 16 we've ever seen? Because that is a lot of pastings to be seen handed out in the knockout stages of the Champions League then. I mean, it's impossible to know if it's the weakest, but it's certainly some batterings there and some pastings that you don't normally expect. I mean, this is Champions League knockout time, right? You want to be staying in these games. I mean, these scorelines are absolutely ridiculous. Look, maybe it's got something to do with the fact that there are so many games being played at the moment by everyone across the board. Like maybe in the last two years, like it's got more and more relentless and there's there's no let up at the moment for anybody. It's going to take its toll. Maybe that's what we're getting to here. I'm, I'm not sure where it's coming from, but yeah, you know, I don't understand football at the moment. This is just another <laughs> one to throw in the mix. <laughs> yeah, it's been uh, it's maybe- been brutal, Sam, at times. Yeah, I mean, usually I'm just trying to think and like usually you get like a couple of these kind of results, right? Like maybe not Man City winning 7-0, like maybe maybe we'll we'll pop that as an outlier, but a pretty comprehensive win for a couple of teams will usually happen, right? Because it's the nature of the beast. It's first in the group against second. And very often first in the group is a Real Madrid or a Man City. Very often second in the group can end up being like a Club Bruges or something like that. So yeah, you can get the odd pasting, but the list that you've just read out for it to all happen in the same round in the same year. Yeah. I'm struggling to recall anything like that. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be very interesting to see what the draw throws up for us on Friday, because there's a lot here that could go wrong. And you're looking at the teams who squeaked by, if you will, you're looking now at your inters, you're looking at Milan, you're looking at Chelsea a little bit, although probably slightly less so considering the way that things are improving there. And actually you start to look at it and going, mm, actually, I don't know how comfortable I am with drawing a Napoli or a Manchester City in this kind of form because you'd imagine that things are going to go the way of the team's in form. Um, so it's going to be very interesting. We have three teams from Serie A in the Champions League last eight we have two english teams and then one each from germany from portugal and of course from spain so there's a lot to there's lots of like and uh, lots to be intrigued by as we go into this but let's start on this week's action and i'm going to kick us off today for a change uh, with manchester city seven rb leipzig nil eight one on aggregate now it's quite hard to look back at this and and get correct takeaways because it was all so mad and frantic that it almost felt that it was kind of happening in an alternate universe. But I'm going to start with something really easy and just say that my third takeaway is Erling Haaland's instincts are fearsome. Now, this isn't necessarily news, but here's a take for you. Erling Haaland scored five goals and none of them were particularly difficult or particularly good. They're just goals that happen when you have an elite finisher with predatory instincts inside the area and this isn't saying that it's luck so like, i don't want this to be misconstrued i think that there's the skill to all of these things and the fact that he's in these positions is very much not luck but one of the really interesting bits about this is the concept that Manchester City no longer need to score perfect goals. Now, they did score a goal that was nigh on perfect in this game. Ilkay Gundogan scored it. And it's a really beautiful, flowing, sweeping move that goes all the way back to Edison, goes back across the pitch, comes down the wing. There's lots of one-touch passes. Gets done by Grealish into the path of Gundogan, who beats a man and starts it home. It's a perfect goal. One of those ones you, you look at and you go, oh, that's really lovely. None of Holland's goals were like this. There's obviously a penalty. The next one is a rebound from the crossbar, which I really like because he gets really ahead of the ball and really up early to get down to it. it. The ball comes back in quick and it comes from him pressing as well, which he deserves major credit for. But it's not a difficult finish. Then there's a couple of sort of scrappy ones in the box. And you're going, hang on, he scored five goals. <laughs> Let's not gloss over the fact that the third one is it. He gets, he's literally stood on the goal line and the defender kicks it into his leg. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. So, so this is the point I'm making. But I actually think that in so many ways, it actually makes City kind of scarier. And his kind of predatory finishing and the instinct that he has at 22 years old is terrifying. And if this 
is Erling Haaland settling into a new side, sort of learning the, the bits and bobs around what's going on around him at City and that things are only going to improve as that dynamic starts to get stronger and stronger with these players. That is a terrifying concept for everybody else on the planet. Because mm. if this is him getting to grips with it, he's now scored 39 goals, 36 games for Manchester City in all competitions. If this is him getting to grips with it, imagine what he's going to be like next year. That's the, the main takeaway. I'm just genuinely like scared for everybody else because if this is Holland settling in period, well, the world is in trouble, to quote many so musicians down the years. He's just uh, broken a Man City club record, hasn't he? He has. Um, a, a club record for most goals in a season, 39. Which stood for so nearly far. 100 years. Yeah, it was a 90-year record. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, he's literally been here since June. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, people say, oh, and it's, he's done it in March. And I, I just want to be at pains to remind everybody that it's March, but it's fake March because... You know, the World Cup ruined the calendar. It's actually February. You look at the calendar, you think it's March. But in football terms, we're actually ticking towards the end of Feb. It's even more impressive than you make it sound when you're trying to dress it up to be as impressive as possible. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Very, very scary man, Erling Haaland, for pretty much everyone else. Very good at football. Very good at football. Scoring goals anyway. Well, I think he's very good at most of it, to be honest. He's just in, instinctively good at scoring goals. Uh, my second takeaway is that Leipzig were really, really brave. And that was really, really dumb. Um, <laughs> that Marco Rose has really improved as a coach, right? And I think that we've, we've seen this in his time at Leipzig. There was a lot of discussion about what he brought to that side. And if he was just going to go back to the transitional football, why it didn't work at Dortmund was actually, you know, a lot of the stuff that we talked about was they didn't really have any particularly smart ideas on the ball. And actually what we've seen at Leipzig is a slight transition away from the RB model. It hasn't completely gone away from it, but they definitely feel like a side who want to have the ball a little bit more now. There are definitely those intricacies in their play. We saw it in the first leg with the way that things kind of flipped down the left-hand side in the second half, and they were able to create those overloads and create those link-ups between three or four players drifting in the space in order to exploit City before making those big switches. I think, generally, that across it, Marco Rosa's really improved both his own coaching and Leipzig with the ball. And the way that they approached this game, I imagine, was based on the second half of what happened back in Leipzig, where they took the game to City and City were a bit like, whoa, that was weird. Didn't didn't expect that coming. And especially after the first half where they were a little bit off the pace and they kind of tried to do it again. This time City were ready for it and City were ready for it in a way that they were able to just counteract it in every single way possible. The press was absolutely sublime from City uh, and Leipzig just couldn't work their way through that press. Uh, and in the, in the opposite end, City were working through the Leipzig press mostly with relative ease. There were a couple of harem scarer moments towards the end of the first half. Uh, Rodri played well, a, a real dangerous ball. There was a couple from Edison where he's got a little bit hairy here and there. But mostly for this 90 minutes, Pep worked it out, dealt with it. And Marco Rosa wasn't able to swing the momentum back towards Leipzig in the way that he did in the first leg. And actually, Sam, you and I were talking on the preview show about the fact that Benjamin Hemricks came in in the second half of the first leg and made a real difference and that they probably shouldn't start him because actually what they needed was a little bit more of that calmness from the beginning of the first leg to try and keep this one in the balance for far longer than it actually was. Now, Leipzig, a little bit unlucky on the penalty, sure. But generally, I think the City could have been 2-3-0 up. By the time the penalty was given, they were good value for their lead uh, and they were good value for, for a very comfortable victory. And Leipzig were brave and it played completely into City's hands. And that was sort of the, the long and short of it from, from a Leipzig perspective. Mate, this, is, this, is, this is how it goes, unfortunately. Like when you, when you come up against a City side who are in the mood, they're really, they're really in their groove. You have to step into them and you have to play boldly and bravely or you're going to get savaged. But the problem is with that is that you tread a very fine line. And if you don't execute properly, you'll be savaged anyway. And when you play against City and they're in this kind of form, like it does feel a bit like, well, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Mm. So they have my sympathies a little bit here, particularly as well, given there were some slightly strange decisions. Um, but ultimately, the biggest problem for Leipzig, from, from my perspective, was that this got out of hand very, very quickly 
and the game was over, like almost within about a 10 minute span. And you just got you've got to hang in there. You can't let the game get away from you to that point. But Erling Haaland scored a hat trick in his first three goals came in what 10, 15 minutes. Yeah, you know, it, it, as soon as the first one went in, it was it was almost over ten minutes later, and that's the cardinal sin, really, if you're Leipzig. Yeah, I mean, we saw a hat trick in the cha- in the Conference League tonight that was scored in three minutes. So uh, Erling Haaland better pull his socks up and uh, <laughs> start to actually get faster at these because there's a yeah. another man after his slow coach Erling. Well, yeah. this is it. Gift Auburn's coming for the throne. It's it's all happening over in the Conference League. Uh, right, my third and final point is that City are rightly Champions League favourites. Uh, because this was said ahead of the second legs of the round of 16. And to be perfectly honest with you, I was a little bit sceptical. Not necessarily because we didn't think City were going to get through against Leipzig or didn't have the capacity to win this tournament. But actually because you watched the first legs of a lot of these games and I thought Bayern were exceptional in Paris against PSG. Yes, PSG got it wrong a bit, but generally thought they were very, very impressive. We watched Real Madrid go to Anfield and win 5-2. And I was thinking about it and going, I'm not sure that that's right. I'm not sure that we can watch the performances of the first leg at around the 16 and go, Manchester City are Champions League favourites. I was wrong. Well, I was completely seven wrong. goals does, huh? <laughs> but I actually don't think it's that. I've decided that it's something else. This isn't the reason. It's not this 7-0 that's necessarily made the decision. It's what this was, and it goes back to that first point about Haaland, is that we've seen for so long, City want every game to be completely within their control. And the elements of chaos that a team like Real Madrid thrive upon um, are, are kind of antithesis to them. And that's what went wrong at the end of that game against Real Madrid last season in the semi-final, where it all kind of came crashing down because the game opened out into chaos. I think in Erling Haaland and actually in this version of Kevin De Bruyne, they have two players who will love it if games go into chaos mode because they were like, cool. Look how much space there is for me to get into these areas and cause absolute chaos. And I think then you kind of put that together with the idea of the, the depth off the bench for City yesterday was absolutely terrifying. You know, what, 5 nil up? And they were like, hmm, might bring Phil Foden and Riyad Mahrez on. Oh, here's World Cup winner Julian Alvarez. Like, oh, God. <laughs> like, these are the kind of substitutions that they can make in the middle of the park. This is probably not quite still a full-strength City side. You'd imagine Kyle Walker comes back into it in, in, in order for it to be at least closer to full strength. But the way that they can mix it up there, the way that Bernardo can play at about 57 different positions, the way that they can change the midfield three to have two eights at times, to have two, a pivot at times, to play in different manners. I just think that all of this put together with the idea that actually City might be learning to thrive a little bit more off chaos generally now that Erling Haaland has come into the picture means that they are probably rightly Champions League favourites at this point. Hmm. Maybe. I mean, look, there's the scheduling to to put into the equation too. Like they're in a proper title race this season and they're chasing. So we've got to consider that. And the rotations are going to have to be used very carefully by Pep. Um, he's got to play as, you know, he, there's no getting this wrong anymore. Um, he has got it wrong a few times this season. And there's players like De Bruyne particularly who haven't been in form at all. I mean, he did have a good game here, but it was a 7-0 win. Like, that's that's all well and good. Like, we want De Bruyne standing out in games that are decided by one goal. And... To be fair, I think it might have been 7-0 win because De Bruyne was Yeah, I mean, maybe, <laughs> but still, like, it's it's hard to gauge. Like, I want De Bruyne to stand up now in the next game, the next game, the next game, and see the old him back. But, you know, Guardiola said, like, I want De Bruyne back to doing basics. No more overcomplicating his game. Let's just do what De Bruyne does. And he did it and they won 7-0. So yeah, maybe you're right. Mm, absolutely. Okay. All right. That's enough on Manchester City. I'm sure we'll be doing plenty more gushing about them if they continue to play in this kind of manner. Let's come on to a game which was equally chaotic, equally frenetic, uh, didn't have quite the same number of goals, Sam. Now about seven fewer in total for the uh, second leg, unfortunately for me. But I did really enjoy watching Porto against Inter. It ended nil-nil. That meant that Inter's first, well, sole goal in the first leg was enough to put them through. And they're into the hat before the quarterfinal. So congratulations to them. And they have, uh, they have earned it. They've really earned it. Like this was really, really difficult. A ridiculously tough second leg to get through. And the opening takeaway here is that for 90 minutes, and I'm going to be very specific about the time, for the 90 minutes on the clock, 
this was a defensive stand to be genuinely really, really proud of. Like Inter's plan coming into the game, really clear, sit in, defend, and then counter-attack. And not only did they actually have the best chances to score in the first sort of 60 or 70 minutes, but their compact deep block was like unbreakable. It was genuinely unbreakable and it gave no quarter. You know, I sit here with you guys and I, I always talk about how Italy is no longer the home of defending. Well, this was a throwback to old school Italian elite <laughs> defending. It really was. And you can tell it was good because you can look at what the goalkeeper had to do. I feel like this is a very good and easy measure of how 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 well did your defence play versus how much pressure were you under. And Onana, I think in the end, did have to make five saves in the 90 minutes, but they were all from 18 yards out or further and nothing too strenuous. All Porto could manage were shots from 20 yards. A couple of them were quite good, you know, low fizzing towards the corner, but Onana can get to those. And he didn't really have to do that much. Like he didn't have a particularly hard evening for 90 minutes. Porto just couldn't move the ball quick enough, couldn't work the space, couldn't work the angle, couldn't find the the pass. They couldn't they couldn't crack through it. And you know, Bastoni was good, Acerbi was better, Matteo Damian was amazing, yeah. uh, so good that he ran himself into the ground and had to go off with cramp. But this was a performance for him to be seriously proud of as well at right centre back. The whole defensive line, superb, absolutely brilliant for ninety minutes. Yes, I think I know where this is going, so I'm going to just move you swiftly onwards. <laughs> Take away. <laughs> if the first 90 minutes was a defensive stand, well, the final seven minutes was just the complete opposite. Like I don't. Really it was like a west. It was like a western shootout. I've never yeah. quite seen anything like it. It was, it was so strange. Like I, I don't know what the root cause for this was. Like maybe they just, you know, they were just tired. Maybe like, you know, when the board goes up and it has seven on it, you know, you get that swell of optimism from the home crowd. And as the as the away team defending a very slender lead, obviously that can be can be a bit like, oh gosh, seven more minutes. And it can deflate you a little bit. Or it might just be that Matteo Darmian had come off with cramp and no one was ever going to hit his level in this game. But whatever it was, as soon as the clock ticked over from 90 minutes and it went into the seven added minutes, things went to hell for Inter. Like they just collapsed inward. And all of a sudden, Andre Onana is flying all over the place and trying to make saves. And Porto hit the post and the bar in quick succession. I think it's Grujic and Taremi, about two seconds between them. And it's so close. Like, it's so close to Inter getting that goal and forcing this into extra time. And based on the way the game and the momentum had flipped, you would naturally be backing Porto at home there with the ascendancy to probably go on and get that done. Inter were amazing for 90 minutes and then very, very, very fortunate for seven. Yeah, I'm not quite sure how Teremi didn't score. Um, I mean, the Gruwich one is a brilliant header. I, I think Teremi probably should do better. But just before that, there's a moment where I think Marcano has a, one blocked off the line by Dumfries. Yeah. Dumfries has, uh, takes it off the line, yeah. There's there's three or four moments in in this where you know Tony Tony Martinez tries to do a bicycle kick that whistles just <laughs> wide at one point. That's a bit weird, um, but that happened. But generally, it was like suddenly Inter were under siege. You're absolutely right, and it was it, I mean it was a mad end to a, a brilliant it game. It was uh... yeah, it was enjoyable to watch. Um, I wasn't actually watching that one live. I even knew the outcome of the game as I was watching the highlights of that one today. Like watched the hour long highlights and. Uh, I still was expecting him to score. I was like, there's no way this ball is not going in. Like, it must get ruled out. There's no way this ball does not end up in the back of the net. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I mean, look, yeah. look, you take a step back from this this game and, you know, over the course of 180 minutes, this was tightly contested. It was really well matched. These are two very, very similarly similar ability teams. And Inter probably, you know, they edged it. And I'd say they just about deserved to win a really tight contest and well done to them. But simultaneously as well and, and in contradiction to that they were very 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 lucky to actually hang on in these final seven minutes and it just made it like incredible fun genuinely incredible fun but I was I was sad for Porto because this felt like it should have been a goal for them and then we'll see mm. what happens yeah it was the kind of game that probably deserved extra time and yeah. I actually think you're right in that it, it's a probably just about shaded it over two legs um but 
generally i think it was the kind of game that deserved extra time and if not then definitely penalties you know it was one of those you're like some somebody has to give we should be given more of this just at, the, at that point it's like sort of pistols at dawn as well isn't it you're like <laughs> someone is they're just gonna have to go for it in these last 30 minutes we're gonna see how it goes but it deserved the extra cut um what is your third takeaway sam Okay, so I wanted to take a look at Porto here. Um, and since they're out, obviously, I can't look forward um, and talk about maybe their place in the, in the competition moving forward. So I guess I'll look backwards. And I want to zero in on one single player. I want to zero in on, uh, on Diogo Costa, who I think had a brilliant Champions League campaign from start to finish. Um, four clean sheets in total, three penalty saves. So one against Leverkusen in the first first game and then again against Leverkusen the second time they met and one against Bruges. He actually got and an assist. Didn't he also get two penalty saves in that Bruges game? Because wasn't the, he didn't say, didn't he save one and then it had to be retaken and he that saved is, it again? That is actually true. Yeah. Yeah. It was retaken and he took it again. Like he saved it again. Incredible. And then, you know, the absolute like holy grail for goalkeepers really outside of a 93rd minute header particularly the Holy Grail, I think for the modern goalkeeper, is he whacks a beautiful pass out to Wenderson Galeno against Leverkusen in one of the games that he saved the penalty. And Galeno does do a lot with it. But in the end, Diego Costa is credited with an assist. So he's come out of a group stage there with three penalty saves, four if you want to be generous, and an assist. Just absolutely incredible stuff. Absolutely amazing. And he was really good across these two legs against Inter as well. Really good in the second leg. I think good hands, good 1v1, good timing, and then some good keeper sweeper stuff at the end. And there was there was one moment towards the end where Inter sort of punt the ball into the channel oh, yeah. and he comes out and sweeps it. And rather than just coming out and like, you know, hoofing it with the head or booting it into the stands, he sort of takes it on the top of his foot and controls the ball and ends up leaping past the forward, brings it under control and very calmly recycles the, 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 the play. It's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. And like... I feel like he needed this because I think a lot of people, more casual fans, I don't mean that as a, a criticism. Like, obviously, if you don't want to watch Portuguese football, fine. But lots of people were introduced to Diogo Costa, I think, at the World Cup. And it didn't go that well for him. Yeah. So this reputation that he had as like one of the world's best young keepers, I think people probably looked at that and looked at, you know, the slip against Ghana and, you know, the error against Morocco to an extent, you know, where he kind of messes up the aerial ball that end the series puts in. And people think, well, I don't know about him, actually. But he's actually used this Champions League campaign to really, really hammer home just how good he is. And I'm pleased for him. And I'm a huge fan of his. So I just wanted to sing his praises at the end. Yeah, one last time for this year's competition, at the very mm. least. I think Portugal's number one spot is in very safe hands for the time being. Walk the dogs, school drop-off, meetings from 10 to 3, take kids to soccer, then no time left for a jog. When everyone else is relying on you, it's easy to put your needs last. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist online, so you can show up for yourself the way you do for others. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com. It's Jeep 4x4 season. Make your next adventure epic and hurry in now for great deals. Now while qualified returning FCA lessees, get a low mileage lease on the 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Laredo 4x2 for $369 a month for 24 months with $2,999 due at signing. Tax title license extra. No security deposit required. Call 1-888-925-JEEP for details. Requires dealer contribution and lease through Ally Financial. Current lease must end by 6-3-24. Extra charge for miles over 20000 Residency restrictions apply. Take delivery by 531-23. Jeep is a registered trademark. But with that, let's move on to Wednesday's action. And DJ, over to you to talk about events at the Bernabeu. Yeah, no big comeback here. Um, Real Madrid uh, winning 1-0 in the second leg. So 6-2 on aggregate. I've got to admit, there was part of me that was thinking, oh, the United fans are going to have fun if this gets to seven. Seven <laughs> could be Jamie Carragher getting some sarky comments from a few people, including Gary Neville, very, very quickly. But they managed to resist. They kept it at six. The first takeaway, lads, is that Trent Alexander-Arnold will never, ever want to see Vinicius Jr. again in his life. Um, <laughs> this guy haunts him. Now, look, 
he treated him like a cone at times. He was just dribbling around him for fun, like just swerving around like he was a mannequin or something. Like it was absolutely crazy. Just as you were talking, actually, Sam, I saw um, a stat drop uh, from Squawker. No player was dribbled past more times in the Champions League this week than Trent Alexander-Arnold against Real Madrid six times. Um yeah, and it and it really was so telling the runaround that he was getting. It was a total mismatch. Um, it was it was a, a spell in the game where it seemed like Trent even became a bit more inverted, like an attempt to bring Vinicius in him, try and get him thinking about him or something. Vinicius was like, "No, I'm going to stay out here." Like, what are you talking about? And <laughs> uh, just had more fun. But um, it was no real surprise, to be honest, that um, it that was, I guess the relentless nature of Vinicius Junior that actually led to the only goal in this match. And it actually came as a result of Trent switching off. So the ball like makes its way towards the the box a bit in a, a bit of a strange fashion. But ultimately Trent switched off. He's lost his runner. He was with Vinicius. He no longer is. Vinicius latches onto it first. And although he does miss kick his first effort to actually score the goal, he quickly makes up for it, like unbelievably quickly, to just slide the ball across into the path of Benzema. Benzema does score, um, and Madrid get the goal. Um, yeah, these two just worlds apart, lads. Um, to be honest, like Liverpool never really looked like staging a comeback at any stage in this game. But when you saw like Vinicius in isolation against Trent, you were like, well, if there's any problems in this game, they'll just keep going out there and they will get joy from it. So... Sorry, I didn't really want to dig out Trent again, but it was just too obvious to not go there. Yeah, I saw a brilliant tweet about this. I don't think it's necessarily digging out. Vinicius is one of the best players in the world, but I did see a tweet uh, from the wonderful Casey Evans on on Twitter who said, Trent approaches the Vinicius Junior Challenge like the cops in Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift who just see a supercar fly by them and go, nah, not my problem. (laughs) (laughs) And it really did make me giggle in the middle of this game. It really did make me laugh. So shout out to Yeah, they use the raid the speed gun. So if they go, if they're going a certain speed that's so high, they know they can't catch them. They just give up. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It did feel a little bit like that. I thought, I thought it was a lovely little analogy thrown up for us there. Um, All right. What's that number two, Dean? Two lads. I think James Milner might be done in the Champions League now. Um, he didn't play particularly badly in this game, but um, just through playing in it, he became the oldest Englishman to start in a Champions League game since David Beckham in 2013. And he also actually equaled Steven Gerrard's record for appearances in the competition. So he's played 73 games in it. That's, it's unbelievable, the record of James Milner and the fitness and everything. It, it really is unbelievable. And as I say, he did fine, but it basically underlined that Liverpool have to go into the transfer market and get a new midfielder in the summer. I mean, I'm amazed he was starting a game like this. I think he'd started eight games all season. Um, so to start against the champions of Europe in a midfield two with Fabinho, it really wasn't very good. Um, yeah, it just didn't really work out for him. Um, didn't really help either that he had Fede Valverde running off his shoulder a lot of the time. And that does make you show your age. I mean, what's Valverde? 23, 24, something like that. Yeah. So Milner at 37. Um, I can tell you from experience, you don't really, um, <laughs> don't like comparing yourselves to people that are that much younger than you once you get into those kind of climbs, lads. Um, so yeah, he wouldn't have enjoyed that very much. So yeah, it wasn't, as I say, wasn't helped by Fabinho, but it really, it was just so obvious that, Liverpool are so weak in the area of the field now. He was subbed 20 minutes from time. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain came on for him. I was like, oh my goodness, what is, this is desperate. What are we watching here? That's going to be a Champions League last 16 game. It's like a charity match. Um, but yeah, so it was, it was sad really that this is what it came to for Liverpool because it, it, they just would never... They, they obviously had to go for the game. That's why they had the four advanced players ahead of Fabinho and Milner in this game. And I understand why they did that. But because of the nature of Fabinho and Milner, there was no drive coming from that part of the pitch. So any success they were ever going to have was going to come from basically long diagonal balls from the fullbacks or even the centre-backs and and Real Madrid were prepared for it. The scary thing I think about this is that James Milner did look a little bit lost in this midfield battle. 
But one of the players who made him look lost was four months older than him. <laughs> like, like Modric <laughs> is four months older than James Milner and yeah. looked perfectly at ease. Now, I completely agree, like, I completely accept that it's about the players around you and, and the people that can do those shifts and, and make things work. And we've talked about Valverde playing on the right before that he's able to come inside and make this a tidier midfield and give Modric a little bit more freedom to do the things that he wants to do and not necessarily have to do the physicality of things. Whereas, Milner was very much asked to do those things, but it, it did just it did just make me laugh. Uh, also, you saying that, and again, there's no disrespect at all meant here, but in two years' time, James Milner being sub for Oxlade Chamberlain will happen at Soccer Aid. Like that, that's where we're at with this, and and that it happened tonight in a Champions League game is indicative of the lack of a refresh of Liverpool's midfield in recent years. Yeah. Notice you didn't uh, use James Milner's full title. James Milner. Uh, no, James Milner, MBE. Oh, yeah. MBE. Sorry. I'm sorry. So yeah. that's disrespectful. You say no. Mate, he is had an unbelievable no, that career. Was, that was disrespectful of me not to do that. <laughs> not as disrespectful as none of his former clubs congratulating him for it, though. How about that? No, um, really? So only Liverpool. There you go. Uh, mm. one, one, one for the ages. Anyway, Dean, what's number three? <sighs> Yeah, I mean, look, to be honest, like we, we talked to, in the preview show, looking at the knockouts, that um, Madrid can easily go on the comp- and win this competition, even though this isn't like anywhere near them playing at their best throughout the campaign. I think over the two legs here, we've seen the reasons for that. And it's underlined that like you've already said that Man City can go on and win it. I'd say they would probably wouldn't beat Real Madrid. Their in-game management on occasions like this is just phenomenal. Like the way that they can keep control and keep themselves in matches through difficult moments, it's just second to none. Like they obviously feel like this competition um, is theirs anyway. But there were spells in this game in the first half where actually Liverpool did have chances. Liverpool were pressing and they had that zip about them. And you're like, they're going to go one nil up. They're going to go one nil up. And to be honest, they probably should have at one point. But honestly, those spells never lasted more than a few minutes because Madrid would quickly get control back of those moments. They've got an unbelievable calmness about them. They don't panic at all. Their their reaction to stress is to calmly keep possession. I've barely ever seen this happen in my life. Like, it's absolutely ridiculous how they could do this. And they don't panic. And so what you're saying there, and I was, I was going to come on to this, but like talking about Milner and how he's aging. And obviously... Um, in the Madrid midfield, you've got Modric and Kroos and, um, you know, in attack, you've got Benzema. And like, they stayed on this pitch for a long time, by the way. Like, Ancelotti had this game won and did not make any subs until this game was, until they were further ahead. But Camavinga and Valverde around them just put in so many hard yards, like... And they are so good technically too. That's what really made the difference here. So yes, they did have players that are equally as old as James Milner, but those players were able to almost be a luxury and use their experience and I don't know, their guile, whatever you want to use, their their mastery of the game to just stroke the ball around and just manage situations and manage areas of the pitch. Whereas Milner had to like... Ha- Managed this whole area of midfield alongside Fabinho, who was a bit of a headless chicken at times, and try to keep control, but also worry about what was behind him, worry how they were going to score. It's just impossible task. The reason that Madrid will remain favourites to go all the way again in this competition is because one, they obviously have the belief, but two, this calmness and composure that they have is just ridiculous. Yeah, I mean they're a special team, and and in this competition. It just seems to be one of those. They were they were so in control tonight, and obviously the first egg helps Sam that they played. You'll never walk alone after after the final whistle was blown, as a sign of respect. There you go. That's how in control. Up. That's how in control they were. They were just like, yeah, we can be nice. That's yeah. how you know you've been well beaten. Yeah, they're supposed to be rivals, and they're like, oh, play their play their favorite song. <laughs> this is a bit mean. <laughs> Come a long way. Give them something. Yeah. Yeah, oh dear. yeah, it wasn't supposed to end like this. It's supposed to be like proper rivalry. It's ended six two. Not great, not great. Not I mean, great. their record against Liverpool in the knockout stages. Jurgen Klopp's record against clubs from Madrid in the knockout stage. In fact, I think this is a stat. So I'm, I'm going to think this I'm is a go stat. Off, I'm going to go off the top of my head. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> going to go off the top of my head. I think Jurgen Klopp's record with Liverpool in the knockout stage of the Champions League 
against teams not from Madrid is 11, played 11, won 11. And I think Jurgen Klopp's record against teams from Madrid in the Champions League knockout stages is played five, lost five. No. I mean, no, that's not quite right. But is I mean, didn't he lose the, the Champions League final to Bayern Munich? With Liverpool. Oh, sorry, with Liverpool, right. Um, oh, okay. Uh, in that case, might be true. Uh, uh, but yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, I, well, you're right in that he think can't right. beat... You just can't seem to get past Real Madrid, which, to be fair, the rest of us can't either. <laughs> like, it's not a Jurgen Klopp yeah. problem necessarily. <laughs> it's more of like a football problem. He's not uh, going to be going on a holiday <laughs> to the Spanish heartland. Let's just put it that way. I don't think he's uh, no. not going to be very comfortable. Well, maybe he needs to go there and do like a bit of like a Lord Voldemort thing, you know, like a you know like a blood of the father, you know, you know, sort of cauldron. <laughs> thing and i don't know like, we want re, to know like, we're rebuild, going with this. like rebuild himself so that he no longer has that weakness in the same way that lord voldemort does with harry potter mm, yes very possible very possible right possible. on that i think potable let's move on <laughs> to our final game which is napoli three Eintracht Frankfurt nil, five nil on aggregate and napoli are into the quarterfinals of the champions league for the first time in their history um, I think at least the very least since it's been the Champions League, not the European Cup. So that's very yeah. exciting for Napoli. Um, and the three things I took for this were, right, one, nobody is giving Napoli's defence anywhere near enough credit. Like all of the credit that this Napoli team get is directed at the front men. And look, I can see why everyone's all excited. I'm, I'm really <laughs> excited. But this defensive unit is so, so, so brilliant. They've conceded 16 goals all season in Serie A. They've conceded six in the Champions League. They've conceded 22 goals in 34 games across those two Mate, competitions. You make me laugh so much, honestly. No, you man. Every time there. I try to be you nice about Napoli... No, six no, no. months. No. Every time I try to be nice about Napoli's defence, you just get rude about Mario Rui. So I'm actually going <laughs> to... I'm going to actually kick back at you here. I'm always well nice about their fullbacks, and you're always really nasty. So actually, I don't think this is yeah, completely okay. my fault. Right, okay. uh, but mostly they defend like lions. <laughs> they swarm, <laughs> they scrap, they throw bodies in the way. They have Victor Ossiman heading out corners at the front post. They have Kvara at times just like rolling back into defensive areas. They defend like Trojans. And I just wanted to give them some major credit because, yes, their front line is brilliant. But Alex Merritt in goal, we looked at it last year. He couldn't get into this team ahead of David Ospina. In the summer, we were trying to work out how Napoli could get Kaylor Navas in so that they could have a crack at winning the title. And suddenly, as soon as you put <laughs> Alex Merritt in, and this is a defence that obviously lost Kaladu Koulibaly, who was the captain and leader of this defence, to Chelsea in the summer. They've brought in Kim Min-Jae. And it just looks like the five of them have this understanding of, of how to play together, how to defend together, and how to work things out. And they, you know, they cover for each other beautifully. They do such wonderful things in terms of making sure that, that their pals next to them are, are not being left isolated against overloads. They work incredibly hard. And for a team that doesn't have a defensively-minded six, let's say in slight inverted commas, in Lobotka, you know, some teams who play like this, and we saw this with Jorginho, right? And, and the fact that when Jorginho was there, the defenders had to often step out and do a lot more physical work than maybe they would have had to if they had a different type of six in front of them because his physicality has never been a strong point in this game. Lobotka isn't quite that level of not being able to really run or, or, or tackle people. He has got those elements to his game. But they're definitely not the smaller. strengths. They're definitely not his strengths. Like he is, at, you know, at best, and and his best attributes are around being a tempo controller and being able to distribute from the base of midfield. I think that just generally, you know, considering all of those things, considering this is a side which has changed a lot in in defensive areas, they're not given enough credit. So I wanted to give Napoli some real credit because they defended brilliantly tonight, uh, and I thought it was it was very very impressive. Okay, so here's the question for you. We've been talking about best centre-backs in the world recently. Mm -hmm. We've been trying to compile our new list because obviously things have changed up a, quite, a lot recently. And I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think we put Kim Min-Jae into that conversation. No. Would you say that was an oversight? And does he, deserve, actually, does he deserve to be in there? 
I think on form this season, 100%. I think where it's a little bit different with someone like Ronald Araujo is that he's actually been pretty brilliant for three seasons. He's just gone under the radar. Um, and so this season, I feel comfortable being like, that guy is world-class because he's been unbelievable for three seasons and he's on top of the world. I think with Kim Min Jae, you could say that this season, he's been one of the best centre-backs in the world on form. Um, but I would be a little bit reticent still to right now put him in a world-class category because I think we need to see more. But I, I think he's he's been right at the top this season. That just means he went under the radar last year. No, I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I wasn't all the last year, so it's, it's it's hard to give you like the proof of concept, right? Yeah, exactly, Basically. exactly. Um, but I think in terms of players this season, yes, 100, he should be in the conversation of best centre backs across Europe this season. Um, number two, I just want to talk quickly about the fact that the red card in the first leg just really ruined this game for Eintracht Frankfurt because. They worked really hard in the first half of this, as they did actually in the first half of the first leg up to the red card. They got into some nice areas. Uh, and actually, I think today they switched shape. Uh, Glasner put them into a four at the back, which we haven't seen very much from Eintracht uh, over the course of this season. They got into some promising areas. They made some breaks. They got you know, shut down at times by an excellent Napoli defence. Fine, but Rafael Santos Borre was leading the line. And I just think if Kola Moani was playing in this game, it would have had a little bit of a different feel because actually the Maradona was a little bit nervy tonight, uh, more than I was perhaps expecting. You know, Sam and I, you, we did a preview of this game and we gave Frankfurt less of a chance of overturning a 2-0 deficit at Napoli than we did have Liverpool overturning a three-goal deficit at the Bernabeu, which probably speaks to how comfortable we were and the idea that Napoli were going to win this game. Yeah. But the crowd weren't that comfortable. And obviously, there have been some horrible scenes in Naples today. Maybe the atmosphere, etc., has has just frayed the nerves a little bit. So there's all those things to consider. But just generally, I, I was like, wow, they're more nervous than I was expecting them to be. And Eintracht's took it to them, I think, to begin with, and, and really did start to carve things out. It was only when the first goal went in that everyone seemed to relax, and then Napoli started to play some unbelievable football. But hmm. with Colo Moani, perhaps this could have been a little bit different. I mean, he's scored 16 goals this season. Rafael Sanspore has scored two. So, I mean, obviously, he's a second-choice striker. You expect him to have less, but the drop-off in quality from Colo Moani to Bore is it, it, so, so distinct. And without Lindstrom as well, it just felt like they were hamstrung by a red card that shouldn't have been a red card. And uh, so I think in, in so many ways, that probably ruined the tie from an Eintracht perspective. I think Napoli would have won anyway, but I think that it would have been a better contest if he'd been able to play. Um, but finally, um, the main takeaway from this is that Napoli's ball manipulation across the park is absolutely unreal. The way that they work the ball for their second goal is outstanding. The ball comes back out from a recycled pass to Valat Skelia. And he picks his head up. He beats a player. And he sort of just chips this ball in behind for, I think, Spolitano to pick up. He then releases Di Lorenzo, slides it across, and Osimhen does the rest. Osimhen does what Osimhen does. Fine. Um, but just the way that Gvara, instead of beating a man looking up and going, I'm in a position to shoot here. And he is, he's, you know, sort of just off the edge of the D he's in a position we've seen him score from before. Well, he has his head up and he's like, well, I'm going to just dink one over the top for my on rushing fullback. That is an incredible amount of, of ability to one, pick that out. And then two, drop the ball on a dime on his foot. And they're like, Oh, we're away. We're going to score now. And they do. But just generally, I think, you know, after that, and obviously it gets easier as you have more of the ball, you have a 4-0 lead on aggregate at this point. The intricate moments in the box that lead to the penalty for the third, the overlapping runs from the fullbacks who know when to get forward and when to hold, Lobotka's control from that number six position that just allows everything to tick, the way that Anguisa picks the ball up in the middle of the pitch, will skip past two challenges and open it out for everybody else. It's not perfect. And often they'll, they'll overplay a pass or they'll, they'll drive one that goes a little bit too far and the keeper will pick it up. But some of the football that Napoli played genuinely makes me gasp at times. You're like, this is unbelievable. They kept the ball for about five minutes on the left wing at 2-0. And it was just Gvaret Skelia, Marihui and, and, and Anguissa just dropping in and knocking it between them in a triangle as they moved around the players. And Frankfurt was standing there, hands on hips, just being like, I don't know what to do. Like, I have no concept of what to do with this. And you're like, wow. This is a good Eintracht side. Yes, they're missing a few key players. This is a good side. And Napoli made them look like they were chasing shadows at points in this second half. When they play, they are the most scintillating side to watch in Europe. They are absolutely outstanding. And I love watching them. And I hope they win this competition. I've said it. Sounds like they're favourites. That's three favourites now. 
No, I just hope they win this competition. That's a very different thing. <laughs> no, I'm going to make them favourites. That's okay, mate. <laughs> that's my pick. I'm going to go for it. Um, no, but actually, seriously, Frank Lampard segue. Um, who should I pick as favourites? I don't want to pick either of the two teams that you've gone for. So all the teams that are left, it's not going to be Chelsea. It's not going to be either of the Milan clubs. It's Bayern then. So it's Bayern Benfica. Benfica or Port. I want a Benfica Napoli final. That's what I want. Deliver it to me. I mean, I wouldn't mind that either. Um, Although, actually, when we actually, if we actually got to it, I think I might feel a little bit underwhelmed at that point. But in principle, it does sound exciting because it would be a hell of a game, really, wouldn't it? Reputations aside or whatever. But and also, I want Napoli v Arsenal. I want Napoli v Arsenal, but I'm not going to get it. You definitely can't have that one. That's the game everyone wants to see right now. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, we shall we shall not be seeing that one. Uh, maybe maybe we could see it in next year's Super Copa, the UEFA Super Cup. Oh, yeah. Arsenal win the Europa League and Napoli win the Champions League. And there yeah. you go. That's That'd be good, the, There we go. That's what we're all hoping for. Uh, and with that, I think it's probably time for us to call it a day. Uh, so that was left for me to do. Say thank you to all of you for tuning in to Champions League Takeaway this week. The eight teams in the quarterfinals of the Champions League are set we await friday's draw with a bated breath uh for now though thank you so much to sam tyler and god cheers buddy thank you so much to our transfer group mr dean jones and welcome back my friend <laughs> cheers mate i've been jack collins david parts this has been ranks fc and we will see you next week gang take it easy Walk the dogs, school drop-off, meetings from 10 to 3, take kids to soccer, then no time left for a jog. When everyone else is relying on you, it's easy to put your needs last. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist online, so you can show up for yourself the way you do for others. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com. Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. (coughs) Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothies, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks.